Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Um, actually, I'm starting at verse 1. I want to start at verse 1, okay? Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. You know, that's a way. I, I know I'm supposed to read the whole thing and get done, but I can't because watch what happens. That's the way that he sort of flicks. You know, he's writing many of these letters from prison. But he says, they think they have me in prison, but I'm not here because they put me in prison. If I'm any place, I'm ultimately where I am, and God's not lost control of me. So he says, I want everybody to understand, I'm not a prisoner of Rome, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I was a prisoner before you put me in prison, so get in line. Anybody got that? Come on. Yeah. Say, I'm locked up with Jesus. Talk to me. Okay? Here we go. Uh, have, let's see. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called in all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I can move right through what the unity of the Spirit is. You ready for it? Unity of the Spirit are the places that we can stand together in unity. The good news is you're about to read seven ones. Everybody say seven ones. One here. You ready? Here's, here's how we stand in unity. We may be different. We may vote for different people. We may have different ideas about philosophy of life or society or culture, values, whatever it may be. But as a starting point, he says, now, if you're going to live together and walk together, let me show you the starting place for unity. You ready? Everybody say seven ones. Here we go. Uh, stand together in the unity of spirit, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, that's the church, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope. Look at the person next to you and say, we share the same hope. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. We share one hope, okay? One Lord. We have a common redeemer that has loves us and released us from our past. One faith. Faith is the is-ness of God. More than what God can do, it is who God is. And so we say we share one faith that no matter faith, no matter what we face, God will be God tomorrow. He is. Okay? And I teach on that at right. One baptism whether into the body of Christ spiritually, whether in a pool of water uh, 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 as an act of worship, or whether baptized in the Spirit, we, share, we all share that same occasion. One God, and he wraps it up. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Woo! There's your unity in the Spirit, and that's where we stand. We stand together in those. So if you want, how can we find common ground? Those are the common ground. You may have different opinions of other things, favorite songs, prayer lives, whether or not you're going to speak in tongues. We do believe in that here and that it's available to every believer in particular as a gift of intercession between and transaction between us and the Father. You may not do that. You may say, oh, I, I don't know that I agree with that. Okay, great. You don't have to agree with it. Because we are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We share. Everybody. No one's going to say, I disagree with one of those. Not one person sitting here, a person of faith, said, no, 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 I, I, I don't agree with that. Everybody here agrees with that. 
So we got a great starting ground as the body of Christ. Okay, let's keep reading. But to each one, uh-oh, there's an eighth one. Now watch, this is important because some limit this passage to just writing about the body of Christ or the church of Jesus Christ, and it does. But he introduces here, he says, but to each one has been, uh, uh, of us a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans talks about this well. It says, you've been given a different measure, each of you a measure of grace. I'm going to have you talk to me a lot today because you need to get this. Would you say out loud with me? He gave me a specific measure of grace, of grace. Okay, good deal. Well, we're gonna, this is good. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, and see, I love the therefore because you got to ask what it's there for always. How do we get this grace? He ascended on high and led captive, a host of captives, and gave gifts to men. And, it, and then Paul, watch, he preaches like Tom Sturbins right here. He says, you know, by the way, what I just said, he's got to go back and unpack it. Look at verse 9. He says, by the way, just what I, what I just said, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended in the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So here's the good news. When he says this, he goes, uh, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Well, good, but what does that mean? He says, therefore, I want you to understand that the grace has been given to you is the result of the absolute conquest that Jesus brought when he left heaven, took on flesh, lived here 33 years, died on the cross, and many feel that when it says he descended, it just simply means he descended from heaven to earth. That certainly happened. But there's another school that says additionally, he descended into the lower parts of the earth and he took captivity captive. Those who prior to the death of Christ were in this place called paradise, he led them out up and into the presence of God. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that the grace that comes to you is the fruit of that absolute triumph. So the grace I'm giving to you will be more than sufficient to conquer any problems you have. And we're going to find out in a couple verses why that's important. Because he hijacks us, okay? And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now this is important because I'm going to rattle these off in particular. And some of the, uh, the, my little discipleship group, you're going to want to, to write these down. Johnny, Matt, the other Matt. Dylan, make sure you get these. Because see, we've spent a long time. Today, the big thing is, is it's not as if, careful Tom. Everybody wants a label, church leaders. Listen, I don't care who is an apostle or who thinks they may be apostle, and they may. But what I'm far more concerned with is not who these five who is these five people? I want to know if we're doing these five things. Because what he gave it to the church for was not so we could figure out if we could get an apostle card. I'm apostle Tom. Because they believe that there's preeminence based upon the sequence. In other words, apostles are more significant than prophets. Prophets more significant than evangelists. Lowly pastor comes in at best fourth. Pastors are lower than apostles, prophets, and evangelists. I've actually had people walk into the church, say things to me that were unbiblical, say it in a King James tone of voice with this ringing cadence, and I say, well, I don't know if I'd agree with that. He says, well, I'm a prophet, so you have to receive it. 
I said, mm, clearly not. Not if you read 1 Corinthians 14. It says, if one prophesies, judge it. Last time I checked, any member of the body of Christ can judge it, and you judge it by the word, and what you just said is in conflict with this particular verse, so I don't have to receive that. And I'm not going to receive that. So, but there's this, really, there's a borderline arrogance. I can't, oh, stop, Tom. Okay. Come on. Apostles, prophets, he says, there's a pecking order. But that's not the question we need to ask. We need to ask, why were these given? You ready for it? Apostles see the big picture, and they started with being those that have seen God, and they lived under the passion because Paul writes about it. He said, I saw him in, a, in this encounter on the road, whether it was a little literal presence of some manifestation or a vision in his head, we don't know, but he had an encounter. Of course, the remaining apostles, they've lived with Christ, and they lived in the same grip. Watch this. Here's the big picture. I've seen him, and you need to see him, and at the end of the age, you will see him. The big picture, here's the big picture of the kingdom of God. Prophets declare the problems and possibilities. Whoa, stop, read the Old Testament. Here's what you're doing, it's gonna lead you to that place up there and you think there's a bridge but it's out and you're gonna crash and burn, turn around and go back. Why do we need to do that? Because the promises that God made to you aren't achievable by walking down this path, so stop now. That's the voice of the prophet. The voice of the evangelist I've just rediscovered. Johnny, you're gonna like this because you are one. I just discovered it, and on Wednesday night, I never got that far to talk about it because we were talking about the messengers to each church. Listen, and understand in the book of Revelation, it, said to the, it says angel, angelos, angelos, but it's messenger, to the messenger of the church. Well, do you know that word disclose that I just quoted to you a few moments ago from John 16? It said, and the Holy Spirit will disclose. That is anangelos. He will message you. You want to know what the cool thing is about evangelists? The Greek spelling in, in the English letters is E-U-A-N-G-E-L-O-S. We change the U to a V for our pronunciation. It's that simple. And it says evangelos. Okay, so what's this? What happens? You see, the Holy Spirit says, I've got a message for you from the throne of God. That Jesus Christ is the advocate. See, we got an advocate of redemption pleading with the Father on my behalf. But on the earth, we've got an advocate of transformation pleading with me on the Father's behalf. Why? Because he says, there's glory I want to put in you. I got hung up on glory again, all over again this weekend. John 17, he's praying the prayer, Father, I'm about to be glorified. He's speaking on the cross. It finally hit me as I read that prayer with tears running. The whole chapter 17 is that. But here's the message. Please hear me. If glory does mean the full, unmitigated opinion of God that was squelched in the Garden of Eden, but it's now being brought to bear, radiating through all that it might be, he says, Father, I'm going to glorify you on the cross. Well, what happened on the cross? Sin was conquered. Its ability to hold us bondage was in. Listen, here's what I wrote to myself, with, honestly, with tears running down my face. God says, the cross is the highest opinion of sin. And my opinion of sin is it dies here, it stops here. Come on. The cross is my opinion of the power of sin. But the cross is also God's opinion about who and what I might be. Whoo, I love that. Enough of that. Come back on Wednesday night, okay? Where'd I leave off? Brenda, help me. I didn't finish it, okay? Verse 11. So, oh, I'm at apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists. So here's the good news. An evangelist is essentially one that steps up and said, I'm here to message you. Well, what's that message? I got good news that God has a plan for your life. See, an evangelist is one who messages somebody. It's just changed my definition of evangelist. It, that has the power to step up to someone who's never heard the message. 
He steps up and says, I got a message for you. And they're uniquely gifted to message people like others are not. I got a message for you from God. That's what an evangelist does. I love that. You can be born again. Well, what's that message? He loves you. He's released you from sin. And if you'll accept that part of the message, at the end of it all, when you stand in front of him, you're going to be okay. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. And then we have uh, shepherds. It's actually poimen. It says pastors, but shepherds. That is someone who lives with you and will walk with you. We've got several of them here in the church. A shepherd who will hang out in green pastures and make sure, actually hang out with you and assist you in getting to green pastures and still waters. And if you're new in faith, I just quoted from Psalm 23. Brenda quoted earlier the closing verse, but Psalm 23, it's the shepherd's diagram, if you will. And one who will walk with you. And then teachers, those who will disclose, if you will, that word is translated also, uh, a, a derivative is doctrine. We're gonna see it in just a moment but who will disclose to you the possibilities of the word of truth, the word of unhiddenness. Teachers help us stay unhidden before God. Say amen. amen. Okay, let's keep going. Now, we got past that with relative will damage. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Man, I want to preach three sermons on that verse. God equips us. That word service is diakonos. That means deacon, minister, or serve. He equips us for one purpose. And I wrote a big message to myself at the end of this, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now. If we're not interested in serving, he's not interested in equipping. Ooh, ouch. So there's two groups mentioned here in this passage. One are the equippers and the others are equipped. But you see, the equippers can only equip because they've been equipped. So if I get to equip, it's only because I've been equipped. And God seems to think by whatever calling that I've been equipped to become an equipper. But just because I become equipper and an equipper doesn't mean that I don't still serve because I'm still the equipped. Everybody serves. So let me ask you this question. <laughs> As you look around New Hope, the next time you get ready to send Pastor Tom a text message or an email, I got a brand new answer for you. Ready? You know, Pastor Tom, I really think New Hope needs to be doing... Well, I'm going to believe that going back to that fivefold gift that some prophetic utterance just came upon you and said, you're disclosing, uh, here's something I think New Hope Church needs to be doing. Well, at that point, there's only two questions. Are you the equipper or an equipped? If you're an equipper and you don't feel like that's your call, then equip somebody to do it. If you're not an equipper and just the equipped, then God wouldn't speak to one who's equipped and not an equipper and not expect the one who's equipped to equip the answer to the problem. <laughs> Say that back to me. <laughs> So here's the thing I'm going to ask. I think we need to be doing that. Okay, great. Do you have anybody in mind that you feel you can equip to do it? No, I don't. Then great. The good news is God has definitely called you. Because he equips us for works of serving. Can I just go ahead and say this, why it's so important and why that's a key notion as we study maturity, because we're really going to get there. What helps us get to maturity? First thing mentioned is serving. Why is that? It's an amazing, and I need to talk about servanthood, and I can, but I made this observation about three years ago after 35 years of ministry, is that the young people coming up out of elementary school who become teenagers, they begin to work and serve in areas of ministry. There's a statistic that when our kids turn 18, graduate from school, go off to college or go off to whatever, 80% of them leave the faith and active worship expression in which they were raised. And of that remaining 20%, only about 30% of those return. But here's what I found by my own observation almost exclusively. The ones who grow up and serve and they learn to serve early on, they're the ones who when that threshold comes, they don't leave. 
they've served. You see Ben up here playing the bass? How old is he? 14? I don't know. He's seven feet tall when he was 12. Um, <laughs> he's just teaching himself to play the bass. We had a hole created there when Randy and Jessica left to become children's pastors at a church across town. And uh, pray for them, please. And, uh, and he, so he stepped, in, he stepped into that gap. I love that. Go by the cafe on Sunday morning. There's this new happy smiling face that will drive you crazy because he's happy all the time. His name's David Sims. And if you ask him for a cup of coffee, he's worked at Chick-fil-A since he came from his mother's womb. And so at the end of every sentence that you say, thank you, my pleasure, my pleasure. So we've got a great my pleasure coming in at the center. We've got a kid that was here when he was three years old, that's grown up, found a place to serve, and now he's a frontline face out there at the cafe on Sunday morning, smiling, he has way too much energy. If you're a slow starter on Sunday, don't stop there, he'll irritate you. He wakes up wound up. Hi, we can do this with it. Let me catch my breath. Okay, I'll be right back. That's, but that's the cool thing. The ones who serve stick. That's why he's wanting you to do that. Okay, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Here's a verse that I really hate. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now remember, he's talking about the body, but he's going back and forth between the body and us. So we have liberty to say, okay, which one or both? But how many know that that really is unfair when he says, I want you to grow up. Well, how big will I be when I grow up to the fullness of the stature of Christ? Well, thank you for giving me a standard I can clearly achieve. But here's the good news. Now, I just, I, I love this. Do you remember that verse, verse seven, where he said, here he's saying, I want you filled up to the measure of the fullness of Christ. The only other time that word is used is in verse seven, where he says, he gave each of us a measure of grace. So here's, here's the note. You need to get this. God never calls you to a place of maturity that he doesn't equip you with the grace to get there. Woo! God does not ever call you to a place of maturity that he doesn't equip you with the grace to get there. He gave me that grace. That grace, the pushback, I couldn't get the, we have a glitch with the computer and getting the animated thing working, but it creates a space. It creates a space where I can embrace redemption. Oh my goodness, that's good. Um, he says, belong to the measure of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there. Now watch what happens. He says, here's how to indicate if you're still a child. He's speaking now to individuals. He spoke to the church. Now he's back to each one of us. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by everything I read on Facebook and the next political announcement I hear. Uh-oh. No, start over. Tossed here and there by waves by, uh, and every wind of doctrine. That's the word that means teaching, thought, or philosophy. I told you it was coming. It's the same root term that's shared with the word teacher earlier in this passage. So the question is, who's informing you of what? If you find yourself every day bone about, I've had more people say, man, I, I'm just so anxious about where we are, who the president's going to be, what's going to happen to the economy and, the corona, and, and, and this coronavirus and, and what's going with that. I just don't know what I'm going to do. The, the good news is he's given us a gospel of peace, shalom, shalom, and irene. That means to be filled up and fully satisfied. When the world is going crazy around us, it says the whirlwind may come and go, but the righteous have an everlasting foundation. Am I concerned about the economy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am. I mean, very selfishly, 
in this culture, the construct of the expression of the church, because I'm saying that because there's different ways you can do it. But this is essentially, I thank God I get to do what I do. I, 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 Brenda will tell you, I'm fascinated with it. I can't believe, you know, I get paid for doing it. Now, I get that. The Bible says, it says, great. Well, then we'll take it back. Um, the Bible said you should provide for those who teach well. I mean, it's very clear. So, and I can, I can develop that more length because there's more at more length because there's three things the Bible says about how we honor those who teach and lead. But what I, but what I want to say is the opportunity uh, to get to teach and share uh, the Word of God is just absolutely overwhelming to me. And to get let me let me back up here. Um, because I just absolutely got lost with where I was going. Help me. Where was... What? Oh, the winds. Got it. Thank you. Dory's back. Um, <laughs> blown about by every wind of doctrine that comes blowing in. We get up and we read Facebook. We hear the news. We hear the next philosophy. The economy's going to be bad. And we're just blown about. But the good news is we, we, want, we don't have to be. You don't have to be. You do not have to be. And can I just testify to you that I am not? Because, you know, do I care if the economy crashes and burns? Yeah, I do. Absolutely, I do. Um, I mean, I'm thrilled. Can I offer you a little sidebar testimony? When we moved here 13 years ago, we had a $6.5 million mortgage. The, 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 the um, uh, housing industry was booming. The, the, the uh, um, hospitality industry here was going crazy. And our giving 13 years ago was two and a half times our average weekly giving now. When the housing market hit in one year, 14 months, we dropped from a $2 million, $2.2 million annual giving budget to $963,000. We have a $6.5 million mortgage! <laughs> Come on, anybody get that? That's a wind or wave to be blown about. But in, in, as we had done earlier, we had purchased some other properties for other points of vision we thought would be out there and the point of vision it turned out is as we sold those pieces of property well we started out with 6.5 million dollars we sit here now on about eight million dollars worth of property with a with a remaining mortgage of six hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's the grace of God to survive now see not everybody will clap about that say dude it's money a building all that there's a little bit I'll clap about that thank you Jesus thank you Jesus okay all right back from our commercial to our scripture everybody tuned in all right as a result, we're no longer children, here it is, to be tossed about by waves of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But I love this, but speaking the truth in love, remind me to come up, uh, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects, there it is, all aspects in him, who is the head, even Christ. Can, can I tell you this, how do you grow? We speak the truth in love. Yeah. Now, I can remember as a child, the first time I heard that verse reference, it said, you know, can I just tell you, I, I was on the edge of a conversation, can I just speak some truth to you in love? I found that to be a southern syrupy way to say nasty things and put the frosting of God's grace on the top. That's not speaking the truth. Can I just speak the truth to you in love? I just think you're a moron. Bless God. That's not speaking the truth in love. Let me tell you how you speak the truth in, in, in love. Amanda, let me borrow you again. Come here, sweetheart. No, forget I'll borrow you. Come here. The, the, the light stands 
right, okay, over there, okay, so you get in the edge of dark. You see, truth and light, they, they go, the teaching on that says, and unhidden means you step out of darkness, according to John 3, and you step into the light. Now, we think a lot of times that speaking the truth in love is, brother, I have words of truth for you, so get over there. You see, that's not, go back there. Okay. The way we speak truth in love, and love is important because that love is a container word that represents everything from the incarnation. Listen, what drove Christ to leave heaven, come to earth, and die on a cross, that's a container word. And then he says, if you're going to understand love, as a matter of fact, one of the corrective letters, the first one, he says, the problem is you've left your first love. John's writing. I think John's referring to John 4, uh, 17, where he says, you need to know that you can only love because he first loved you. See, first love is understanding who loves first. Whenever we talk about, and if you understand who loves first, it changes your whole orientation. That you loved me before I could even love, and I get the love on the basis of you loving me. So if I'm going to speak the truth in love, I'm speaking the fact that the only reason I stand in love is because you acted first and summoned me into it. So then how am I going to stand in truth? I'm going to be standing here with my brother and say, on the edge of the light, and, and I uh, wish we... Uh, as a matter of fact, turn those down. Let it go down. Turn these down for a second up there if you can. Can you do that real quick? Okay, so I'm standing here on the edge of darkness. There you go. Now, it doesn't look so, so much now, but on the cameras, we just went absolutely dark. You can see how dark it is on the screen. You see, but the person who speaks the truth in love, the person I can tell you, who, the people who speak most greatly to me, I, I, I picked on you, I should have had you stand up, are the ones who will step over into the light. Now bring that back up, if you will, and say, brother, would, would you come stand here with me? You see, I'm not interested in shoving him into the light. I'm interested in taking that step first. And if there's somebody pushing you that doesn't have any interest in going, that's not the voice of speaking in truth and love that you need to speak, listen to. You need to want, speak to one who says, I've made the trip from where you are to where I am. And just in terms of standing in truth, and I know it's scary to trust God with this area of your life as well, but just come stand here with me. You see, that's how the body works, not shoving them out there. Why would he do that? Because the closing verse says, we've been fit, knit, fit and knit together, okay? Thank you, son. The, um, now, <clears throat> look at the person next to you and say, don't shove, go first. Where do we learn that? The cross is a statement of God coming to the planet and say, the only way that you'll know me fully is to die to yourself and bring everything you are that to me. And he says, watch me, I'll go first. Remember, the cross is the final opinion of God on the power of sin. The cross is the final opinion on the possibilities of who I might be. And he says, watch me, I'll go first. All right, now here we go. I'm going to give you the stuff you really need to pay attention to. I know it's been a while, but I'm, I'm, I'm not apologizing for that anymore. I'm going to come back. Watch, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body being fitted together, here it comes, the whole body. He's talking about the church, right? The whole body, that, he's talking about all of us, being fitted together by what? Here it comes. Every joint, each joint, us, you, me. I would love to have just fun here and pretend that, you know, in, in some less than macabre or gory or bloody way, I could sort of just detach my arm at the, at the shoulder and say, go over there, and the arm would be flopping all about. I'm on my own. I'm on my own. The arm is saying, I'm on my own. Arm can't do anything if it's not attached to the shoulder by inherent design. And yet we detach ourselves because we're Americans and we're independent. And I don't need to go to church. 
I don't need to be part of a church. I can stand on my own. The Constitution says so. Great. Roll with that. Come back in a couple years. Let me know how that works out for you. Because we want to celebrate our personal strength by promoting our individuality, and humans weren't built that way. Entire books of high-end leadership are being written that no one gets to where they are without the help of another. And he goes through the list of, of, um, of the creator of Microsoft to Albert Einstein to every genius. And I love this book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I think it's Tipping Point. It could be his other one. But he, it's a whole book written about how these all massively successful people were not self-made Americans that simply got there on their own. No, they had help. They were attached to somebody. You want to be all that you can be? Get attached to the body of Christ. And I'm going to ask a question again. Well, how do I know if I'm attached? Where are you serving? Well, does it have to be in the church? Not inside the walls. But attached to it for the purposes of bringing others into the body of Christ. What are you doing to serve? Where are you serving? Be ready to answer that question. Okay, here's where we're going to land. Verse 14. These are the prohibitions. Doctrines, trickery of men, craftiness, and deceitful scheming. Now... There's three things I want us to get when you leave. This is going to be fast, and I finally got to where I wanted to go. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm relieved, okay? Amanda, can we go ahead and just stick all three of those up there? Because verse 14 gives us this by sort of a negative polarization. Be a learner, be aware of your relationships, and be aware you're in spiritual battle. Be a learner. If you want to grow up, here's three things you need. Be a learner, be aware of your relationships, be aware... Uh, uh, that, uh, that you're in a spiritual battle. Because if you don't, if you don't think, well, it's not spiritual, great. You're going to constantly be ambushed and wondering, where the heck did that come from? Well, I can make it. I'll just get up tomorrow and then ambushed again. Where did that come from? And where are we hit? Now, the reason I want to point this out is be a learner. Say, uh, th this phrase is the same word that means to be taught. The word doctrine is the thing for to, to, to teach or having been taught. It's didacticon. You can hear the word didactic in there, which means to teach. But to be taught. So the question is this. Are you committed to being a lifelong learner? Because if you're not committed to being a lifelong learner and being teachable, you will not be a lifelong grower. You will stop right where you are, and you may grow and look like a big tree. Um, I just thought of it. Somebody help me. It just popped in my mind. What are those little trees that we get from... Bonsai trees. You see, God said in, in, in Isaiah 61 that you will be, he said, you will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the former, no, it's before that. It says, uh, give them a garland set of ashes, oil of gladness, mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Here it comes. So that you may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That you may be glorified, that he may be glorified. Oaks of righteousness. How are you doing? Are you an oak? No, I'm a bonsai. I'm a bonsai because I'm not a learner. And it says my leaves can't go up and my roots can't go down. That, that's teaching. It's one of the five things that, that re are required for things to grow. And my roots can't go down and the leaves can't go out. You know the way they keep them small? They clip the roots and they clip the branches and they bend them and everything. And it looks like a big tree. If you go in real close, it looks like a giant tree. But it's itsy bitty. How many want to be a bonsai or an oak of righteousness? You know? Oh, well, okay. Have fun with that. Watch this. All scripture is good, is by God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, profitable, here comes that word doctrine, for doctrine, for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then Paul uses the same word again. Here it comes. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, equipped, equipped for every good work. You need to be in the word of God. You need to be hearing the word of God. You need to be partner with someone who's also been taught. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. You've been taught and that can teach and that's walked out the path and understand it. Number two, be aware of your relationship. It's simply suggested by the trickery of men. You don't want to be people. I, I love going into these words, trickery, craftiness, but they mean essentially what they mean, what we think. You don't want to be in relationships that are not speaking the word of truth informed by the spirit of truth because you'll end up detached and separated from, the, from a body jointly fit together, finding your place and contributing. Do you know both of those dynamics? And I, needed it the, I need to put this right at the close, but I'm going to say it here. That until every person joins and finds their place, the body of Christ won't be healthy and strong. But until every person finds their place and joins in, you and I will not be strong and mature. It takes both. And when, when one is happening, the other is going on. That's an important notion, all right? Number three, and the last thing, be aware you are in a spiritual battle. You know the closing word, it says, be aware of the schemes of deception. That's what it said in, in uh, verse uh, 17 or 16. That be aware of the schemes of deception. Everybody got that? This word scheme is only used one other time in Ephesians. It's two chapters later in chapter six. And it's an amazing statement. And it's none other than the, uh, than the schemes of deception of the very first deceiver, Genesis chapter three. Remember, we were deceived. We were afraid. And so we detached. See, there was no body of Christ. We detached from God and we hid from you. Okay, important notion. Let's jump over there and look at Ephesians 6 and behold how you'll be impressed how quickly I can move through this. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, the schemes. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes. Chapter 4 said there's schemes coming at you, but you will not be under-equipped. God's given you the complete armor you need to stand in a defensive and offensive posture against the things that will scheme, that will send you being thrown about on every wind or wave of doctrine. I want to teach on all six of these at length because I've said now for four or five years, the next time I do the, the, the armor, I'm not going to so much talk about the pieces of the armor as much as I'm going to talk about the things that the armor is meant to defend us against because I believe that what Paul is doing, listen, he's telling us the six primary points of attack that the devil will use. That's what he's doing. We focused on teaching on the armor side. That's good. You know, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the girdle part that, that holds everything together here. We're about to see that. Okay, let's jump in. For the struggle is not against flesh and blood. Remember, beware, it's a spiritual battle. Struggle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand. I love it. I love the, uh, uh, I forgot what translation says. Having done everything to stand, stand firm. This says, having done everything, stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, here it goes. Having girded your loins with truth. Everybody say truth. truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Say Righteousness. Your feet shod with the pre preparation of the gospel of peace. Everybody say peace. peace. I love that. With the message of peace. Uh, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. Everybody say faith. faith. 
with which you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And finally, take, or excuse me, take the helmet of salvation. Everybody say deliverance. deliverance. You wear the salvation and deliverance, identical words. When you accepted Christ as Savior, you were delivered from the grasp and bondage and destiny that sin would give you, and that is a place in hell forever separated from God. You were delivered from that journey and put right in the presence of a God who showed up and said, I'm the God that loves you, released you, and now your destination has just been changed. You've been delivered from that. When you stand in front of me, you're going to be okay. So here we go. And the last one is, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do we understand that the word of God is the sword of the spirit? Now let's look at these really quick. He attacks us at six points. He's going to attack every person the same way, first of all, that he started in the Garden of Eden, and that is truth. You can't stand in unhiddenness. I can't? No. You need to hide. Number two, righteousness we've studied here is the ability of God to bring order to our life. It's the second, implied second line in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, you're holy, complete, lacking nothing. Holy is your name. And so in, according with that in accordance with that declaration, I now invite your will to be done, your kingdom to come, your rule, your will to be done. Order my life. Tell me what next steps. God says, that's fine. I've done that pretty well. How's that? By my word. Take the next steps. So God's going to attack us. Watch this. Excuse me. The adversary is going to attack us. You need to hide you're not going to be able to find the order and synchrony in life that you think you can find. Number three, peace. Peace is the real word means it's not just um, a serene platitude. That's the effect. But the word means in both the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, a sense of fullness. What happens? Do you remember in Ephesians, he said the fullness of him, just verses before, the fullness of him who fills all in all, that he would fill you up. What is it you can face life, face your terrible job? As a matter of fact, I was discipling a young man, uh, getting to talk to him this week at his invitation. And he says, oh, pastor, I hate this job. I got to go to it. You know, I really want to be doing this one over here. And this one just, yeah, man, I just hate it every day. I hate it. And it's horrible. And I hate that job. And by the way, did I tell you, I hate my job. And I said, awesome. And he says, okay, well, what should I do? I said, worship God. He says, well, what, you know, what's that? I said, your current mental state, if our job, chief end of man, and, and, and Christ in me is the hope of glory, the opinion of God to radiate through my life and touch people, resident glory is what transform, informs and transforms people around me. Resident glory. But I said, son, what you're saying is that job, that place you go to work, is beyond the scope of possibility for God to manifest his glory in, in your life. And if all you're doing is walking in with a crappy attitude, well, you may not say it out loud there, but people know you really hate that job, hate what you're doing. But what if you walked in today and say, you know, I'm really not here to sell this or do that. Wherever I am at any moment, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, you can't put me in prison because I've already been taken hostage by him. But you walk into this place and say, you know, it may be this, but, but my, really my chief end here today is not to sell this, do that, or accomplish this. My chief end is for God to be glorified in me. So how might I do that? By encouraging a brother or sister near me. Just being a voice of encouragement. You don't have to open the Bible, preach, slam them in the head with it, push them down on the floor, pray for them, do any of that stuff. Just allow the glory of the Lord to shine through you and say this before you go. And I told him. I said, before you go tomorrow morning, say, Father, I'm so glad you placed me in what is otherwise a clearly dark place that is not fun, which should make my light shine brighter. So I pray that in this moment that if I perceive it as darkness, that you would just allow me to shine even more brightly. 
Who here has, don't raise your hand, who here has a cruddy job you don't like going back to? You know what, I, what I've discovered? Is God will give you a different place once you celebrate the place that he's put you in right now. Okay, I'll keep going. I wasn't going to preach there this long. Faith. Next one is he is. Watch. Okay, so he attacks us what? At a place of unhiddenness, a place of perceived order, righteousness, a place of fullness. See, we should have a full feeling irrespective of what the world does. Our peace transmits, okay? And then next is he is. Above God can. Well, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't make any difference whether what happens tomorrow, whether God does, God still will be is, okay? And then next is our helmet of salvation. My mind says, and the adversary comes and says, well, he may have delivered you once, but he can't deliver you tomorrow. In response to that, Paul would write, the God who delivered me is delivering me and will yet deliver me. See, this is the place where the adversary wants to attack us. Why? Let's just do a rewind here. Well, no, I'll do a rewind in a minute. Then he says, um, the word of God which is the sword of truth. Now there's two questions here. Is it, remember, sword of the spirit. Is it his sword in my hand or do I get him with his sword in his hand? I love that. I love that. Because it's both and, either or. But I love it. You know, if I got a 15 foot giant with a seven foot sword that says, here, take my big sword. I'm gonna drag it across. I probably can't swing it around real good. But Nonetheless, if it's a sword in our hand, it is a sword in our hand. But here's the better news, that when I respond to the word of God, when I respond to the word of truth, what do I get? I get the spirit of truth. And the spirit shows up with a sword that's massive. And he says, let me step out in front of you right now. So why do we get involved in winds of doctrine that blow us around? Because we think we need to hide for some reason. I don't care where, your marriage, your job, your life, your stuff, you don't need to hide that there's disorder that can never be recovered fully, that there's a, it just blows me around. Oh, goodness, you know, winds of doctrine and waves being tossed around, that I can't really find fullness because the economy's off and I don't know who's going to be voted. That doesn't affect our peace. We're part of a kingdom who is infused to and from from another world, okay? So you see the list of things that blow you about and where you're attacked. The remedy for that, <clears throat> last verse. Let's go back to chapter 4. And we're going to end right here. No, it's been a bit long, but trust me, you needed this. All right? Amen. I needed this. Amen. Okay, where is it? Here we go. Here we go. Uh, from, it says, here it goes. Being blown about by every wind and wave of doctrine, carried about by the trickery of men, craftiness, deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. Okay, so if you're being blown about, what's the first thing it's telling you to do? This is important. Our mission is, is stimulating growth and change. Who are you connected to? What are you connected to? Are you near anybody that's just standing in the light and says, come over here and stand with me? Because if not, you're going to be blown about. Well, what is the truth they're trying to bring me to? Those six things I just said. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the power of the word of God unleashed in our life. That's the kind of person you need to be hanging out with. We are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit together and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. It causes the body to be built up itself in what? Love. There it is again. Love. Love is the standard. Okay, I think I've told you everything I need to tell you today. I know it's been long, but it's Brenda's fault because she got up here and preached for a long time at the beginning. <clears throat> that was a joke. Let's stand together right now. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast, 
or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.